0: Bringing attention to the here and now, Pachubanantamma. It's like this, the sitting posture. You're reflecting now, you're not thinking about it, whether it's good posture, bad posture, whatever. However, you're sitting is just like this at this moment. The breathing, inhaling, exhaling is like this. So you're reflecting on the way it is. Each each one of you is, is can be this knowing, this reflective knowing, non non critical recognition of the way it is at this moment your state of mind your your feeling mood of the moment is like this So just this, this simple way of reflecting is you begin to realize the power of awareness before it becomes personal when you start, is my posture good or somebody else's posture is better than mine and then you start creating yourself as a separate person who has an idea Who has an ideal? Imagines an ideal posture. But instead of becoming a person, just being the witness, the puto, who rule, know the present in in a way that is non-critical, just. Recognizing the posture, the sitting posture is like this, the breathing, the mood, state of mind is like this. So being this puto, this, this knowing, this witnessing, not a person with ideas about right meditation and how things should be, or comparing yourself to others, but just a simple recognition of the way it is at this moment. The sound of silence, you hear the sound of the air conditioning, sound of silence, uh, nada, the way it is at this moment. Then to remind you, it's like listening, observing, witnessing. So, like Puto as a mantra can be used uh, for tranquility, as you just chant Puto, not allowing any other thoughts into consciousness. If you, you know, as a as a tranquilizing, as a samatha practice. You determine to think Puto, rather than let your mind think and wander in the thoughts. You think just one, intentionally think Puto, the Buddha's name, will take you to tranquility or sense of tranquil, blissful tranquility. Then putol becomes more than just a meditation technique of, you know, just for tranquility, which is temporary on this level of the samatha, the concentration on an object. To knowing, it's mm-hmm. reflecting, and that's what the word Buddha really means. It's not a person. So we talk about becoming the Buddha, or Gotama the ascetic became the Buddha. Gotama the ascetic was mindful, observing the way it is in this awakened, witnessing, understanding the way things are, all conditions are impermanent. All Dhamma is not self. So, if you're observing, you know, like your mental state, your mood of That you're witnessing now is turbulent, excited, restless. Just let it be that way. Don't try to make it calm. Be just the simple knowing. It's, it's like this. If it's, you know, or if it's peaceful, concentration, mind wanders, You feel uh, confused, or you feel bored, or you feel anger. It's like this. So there's nothing to do about it. You know, there's nothing like you've got to get rid of it. But trusting in Puto, in the knowing of it, allowing it to be what it is when it's present, when you're aware of it as a as a object in the mind. Then you can recognize it when it ceases, you know, it because it is a Sankara. What arises ceases. So I tell this story about a woman that came to me when I was living in England and she'd been, before I even came to him, and she'd been practicing Buddhist meditation. And But she felt she after all these years of practicing meditation she still hasn't attained anything she comes home from her work in the city of London and she tries to do Anapanasati, but she can't, her mind wanders all over the place. She can't, and she says, I can't do Anapanasati. I've been trying for years and haven't gotten anywhere with it. So I asked her, what kind of work do you do? What kind of, when you... During the day, what, what is it you're doing? She was, had a job where she had to talk all the time on the telephone for, you know, for the, in the daytime job. So she was busy talking, consulting, solving problems, thinking, reacting, and then she goes back to her home after work, and expects to do anapanasati as some kind of peaceful, tranquil state. And so I and you can't, you know, anapanasati, if your mind's all excited, stirred up, and your mind wanders all over the place, you can, to try to make it calm with anapanasati is in kind of tyrannizing your, yourself. If something's stirred up and you're excited or anxious or confused or restless, just be the knower of it. Let it settle down. These kind of excited mental, emotional states, confused states, Wandering mind. If you if you're always trying to fight them and make them obey your commands to stop or become tranquil, it's a hopeless task. So this is why it's so important when you do like formal meditation practice to be aware of the state of mind you're in. It's like this: if it's already peaceful, if it's already, if it's calm and not excited, then anapanasati is a very skillful way to practice. And so who knows whether you, your mind right now, each one of you knows the state of your mind at this moment. It's not going to be the same for everybody. So we don't need to know about each other's state of mind, but we certainly know the state of mind that we're witnessing with Pluto at this moment is like this. And then again, I reiterate this, it's like this, it's just a skillful way of accepting it because it's not critical. it's just a, a noting a notation now in uh, formal teachings of the Buddha there's the they talk about the four stages of stream entry sotapanna, sakata, kamiana, kamiana so these are Stages of progress, development, and in, in insight. Stream entries, when you have the insight into the path, Sotapanna, so you, you have the, the initial insight into the path, the Eightfold Path with Samadhiti. Sakadakami is once called Once Returner. The uh, Sakadakami still has uh, sexual desire and aversion, but because of the stream entry, you know, stream entry amounts to uh, the first three fetters. There's ten fetters in this that affect this these four stages. The first three fetters or obstructions, is sakya ditti is the first one, which is the ego, the identity with the body. I am this physical body. A sense of ownership and identity with with the states of mind. The, the second fetter is siddha Attachment to uh, cultural conditioning, social conditioning. Seeing yourself always through the programs you've acquired. You know, these are conditioned after you're born. You're not born with sakyaditi, with an ego. You're not born with a conventional identity with a cultural identity or religious or ethnic identity. These you get after you're born. So they're, they're created by human beings. Not, they're not natural phenomena. The third one is witchikita, which is the Pali word for doubt. And doubt always arises through attachment to thinking. So thinking is another acquired gift that we have after we're born. So it's not, you're not born thinking in Thai or English or any other language. So notice, uh, make this emphasis that these first three fetters are human-made fetters. they're not, nat- they're not just natural to the species. We're not born with an ego, with I am my body. We're not born with cultural, uh, social identities. We're not born with thinking in any language whatsoever. But these artificial conditions that human beings create are the... Three main obstructions to stream entry, to recognizing the first insight into the the path of liberation. So it's important to to reflect on, you know, that's why being aware of thought is more important than thinking. Because thought is a, you know, in language, whatever language you think in, is, is an acquired trait through cultural conditioning. The, the, the view of yourself as a physical body, the way we limit ourselves by our appearance and form, by our gender, by our age, These are all acquired conditions after birth. They're not, as they say in Thai, tamachat, they're not natural. You're not born with them. You're born with with a physical body and consciousness. So the physical body is tamachat, it's natural. Consciousness is tamachat, it's natural. It's not, you don't, you don't acquire consciousness after you're born or obviously the body is born, it's already, means it already exists as an entity that's conscious. It hasn't become a personality yet or an ego. So Sakyaditi as the first fetter. Recognize it. It's the you know, you're aware of Sakyaditi. The puto, this this practice of awareness. You create yourself, you believe you are this person, this physical body, this that you are only this physical body. You know, we, we tend to underestimate ourselves endlessly by identifying with something so vulnerable, so fragile as a human body, as ourself. That's what we are. So there's a lot of fear that comes from that belief that, that we are, that one is this mortal physical form. And then the cultural conditioning, the silapata bhara attachment to conventional, to conventions, to cultural conditioning, to religious conditioning, to class conditioning, you know. So these are attitudes, assumptions, memories that are instilled in us when we're still innocent children. Like a child is, is, you know, it's basically innocent, so it kind of absorbs whatever the mother, the father, the social background, the cultural, you know, they take on all those identities and beliefs because of the innocence of a child. It doesn't discriminate. It just believes. But puto, puru, knowing, Buddha, refuge in Buddha is knowing the ego, the sense of I am my body, I am my feelings, I am my emotions, my eyes, my ears, my nose, my tongue. These are all, this you know, create this sense of separation, individuality, and then whichy kichard doubt, you know, is is the result of attachment to thinking. That's why you can't become enlightened through thinking. You can't see the, the path of liberation through analysis through thinking, through imagining. So that's what we use the word, intuitive. It's an awakened intuitive awareness that we recognize, realize the Eightfold Path or Samadhiti, right for perfect understanding. So these, this kind of, uh, that's why it's important to, uh, encouragement, that I'm trying to encourage you to investigate these three fetters. You know, with this Pluto practice of observing, witnessing the ego. It's not trying to get rid of the ego, criticizing, you know, it's by trying to get rid of it, or improve your ego, or whatever, it's not about increasing the sense of your separateness, but in recognizing the belief that I am this physical body. Like being aware of the body, I haven't thought about it as me yet, as as my body. It's just awareness, the body, the posture is like this feels like this, the hands are like this, the the pressure on sitting on the mat is like this. And that which is aware of the body... Is it inside the body? Is that just limited to, you know, is it inside your physical body, in your brain? Is it in your head, you know, is consciousness limited to individual forms of individual beings? You know, we can assume that from the sakyadity level, from the ego level, when you when you see yourself define yourself confine yourself to the form of your human body as what you is what you are then we can believe anything that consciousness is inside me and my consciousness your consciousness is different But with mindfulness, awareness, consciousness, has no boundary. As I was saying last evening about the, the, you know, consciousness having is invisible, it's, it's infinite. It has, where does consciousness begin and end? Is it personal? Is it, my consciousness is different from yours? but consciousness is the knowing, is kuto, knowing the way it is. The body is like this the mood, the state of mind, the emotional state is like this. So you can be aware of your body Sitting, standing, walking, lying down, the four postures. You can be aware of. Is it the body, when it's lying down, aware of its self saying, I'm, that it's lying down? There's awareness of the movement. Movement from sitting to standing, to walking, to lying down. That isn't, you know, the body making comments or, a, or aligning itself with any of its movements its conscious awareness, mindfulness of the movement changing postures that our bodies go through, through the day and night. The ego, or sakya is a creation made, made out of ignorance. You know, so we, it's a belief system. We believe, uh, you know, one believes I am this body, I am a man, I'm a woman, I'm young or old, or, you know, these are beliefs that we acquire. They, they aren't kind of natural phenomena but they are created by, you know, cultural differences. What's the difference between Thai culture and, and American culture, you know? It's, is there one culture that's created from above that we all align ourselves to? Or why is there so many differences between Thais? and Indians, and British, or even French or Germans, you know, cultural conditioning. And that's what you get when you're you know, born into a particular culture. You, you get those values, those attitudes, that sense of a, what's right and wrong, and what's good behavior and what isn't, according to the different cultures. But what is aware of cultural conditioning is not culture. It's the awareness, the puto, knowing Dhamma, the way it is. It's not Thai or French or Indian or British or anything like that. Those those are made-up names that we give value to, that we identify with. So, you know, when when these are like self-inquiry or you know investigating yoni so manasikara in Pali getting to the very root of it you know so that we're not we're not operating from viewpoints or positions from cultural biases, from prejudices from personal identities You know, so, uh, you know, it's not about uh, what I think is a person and what I believe uh, as, you know, personally or individually. So when we talk about Dhamma, That's reality, which is is not about culture anymore or personality, individual personality or identities or about language and doubt and thinking. Because Dhamma isn't created. Human beings don't, individuals don't create Dhamma. We can't, we can't even imagine it. Try to imagine the Dhamma you know, so that's why you can't, you know, you can imagine Buddhas so you have Buddha Rupas you can make images of of the word Buddha you know, so the the Buddha image that's behind me is an icon you know, it's an image of a Buddha because there was Gautama the Buddha, Sakyamuni Buddha, who was a human being like ourselves, who was enlightened, knowing dhamma which you can't see, or you you know you have symbols for dhamma, like a dhammajaka wheel or something like that, but. You can't personify Dhamma like you can uh, make a human form out of the word Buddha. But you can't make Dhamma into an anthropomorphic form. Because it's, it's the reality of now to be realized. It has no form. So you make symbols of it, you know, so Dhamma, Jaka, things like that are fair enough. But to realize Dhamma, you have to take the position of Bhutto, of awareness, to realize, to know Dhamma. And to know Dhamma is knowing you're knowing without knowing about anything. So it's consciousness. It's awareness. So, you know, you can see that's what you are, is Dhamma. You're this awareness, this puto. Not as a person, not to identify with the words, but when I say, talk about what 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 am, am I really the reality? If if I'm not this body, not this personality, if these are all conditions, all sankaras changing, what am I really? Am I the Am I just a changing sankara? You know, kind of. No wonder I get confused and frightened and that because I'm always changing. You know, it's unstable, shakeable, and it doesn't always change the way you want it to. You know, so much of our experience of life is suffering because we don't want that. We want happiness. So then ask yourself, what, what am I really that isn't changing, unstable, dying, beginning, ending, being born and dying like conditioned phenomena like sankara is awareness, consciousness, dhamma. These, these words, are mere words pointing to the reality of being aware. So being aware of objects, being aware of objects that we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, being aware of thinking, being aware of feeling, of emotion, the state of mind, the jitta, being aware, So this is why mindfulness is called the path to the deathless. Upamado amatapadam. Upa A-pa-ma-do is it means awareness, mindfulness. Amatapadang is the deathless. Amata is a Pali word for deathless. Padang, deathless path, deathless way. Upamado Matapadang, mindfulness is the path to the deathless. So that's why when we talk about, when we reflect, uh, using we, we be we are this mindfulness, not this this physical body, this these emotional changing conditions different thoughts, memories, worries, problems. We have this mindfulness, which is a way to, the path to the deathless. Pamado machuno padang. Heedlessness is the path to death. Machuno padang. Machuno padang, machuno padang means a, to death. Heedlessness, not being mindful. Pamado, kwam pamad in Thai. Pamado is the path to death, is the way to death. These two verses are quite profound, really. Then the Dhammapada. Upamado amatpadang, pamado machu no padang. Upamada namianti. Mindfulness is never dying. Apamado namiyanti, yepamada yatamada. Heedlessness is dying every moment. Yeah, die. So this kind of heedlessness, lack of mindfulness is like dying every all the time, because we're always caught in the changing conditions that we're attached to. It's teachings like this i found, you know, so resonating with me throughout my monastic life. Because as a personality, as a habit person, I really was obsessed with thoughts. I used to, I really liked to think and figure things out. And if I wasn't just using my thought to figure things out, then I'd get caught in obsessive thoughts and fears and worries, resentments. So, you know, as a... And then trying to be mindful as a person, you know, so... I've got to be mindful. So I... I tried to do something called mindfulness. So I started out with the Burmese style of practice at Wat Mahatant 1966. As a layman. And they had a very strong technique of... Um, yup-nor, pong rising, ceasing of the abdomen, and, and you do everything in slow motion. So I immediately assumed that to be mindful, you had to move, you had to do everything in slow motion. Because I didn't know, I mean, mindfulness was, was said, to be mindful, and uh, so I was trying to imagine it, and then the teacher said do everything in this very stylized form be aware of every movement of your foot when you're walking and so forth so in the beginning that was quite helpful I'm not criticizing it because at least it gave me something to do something to cling to that was different than just thinking, thinking thinking like I would do if I wasn't doing this technique, and so you know this when i went to when I ordained as a samanera, I escaped Bangkok because I got very confused because they in nineteen sixty six the expatriate Buddhists lived in Bangkok that I associated with it, so many views and opinions about who was an arahant, who wasn't, who was a good teacher, who was useless and about Tamayotan and Mahanikai you know in 1966 there was this incredible conflict between these two forms of theravada buddhism which didn't mean anything to me as an american you know totally mystified by all the problems that you hear in the discussions of, of who's who's the best teacher and how, where you should ordain so i just fled bangkok and went to went on a holiday to laos where i met uh, a Canadian Salmonera in Vientiane who told me, he said, why don't you just ordain in Nong Kai like I did? So I did. Just a kind of uh, and the impulse from a from a very young Canadian. So I went over to Nongkai from Vientiane and asked the Chao Kun. At Wat the one of the main monasteries in that town. And so he ordained me as a Samanera. And then this, this Canadian Samanera advised me to take just this one book with me, The Word of the Buddha. It's a collection of the basic teachings from the scriptures, from the suttas. The Four Noble Truths and all the kind of uh, Satipatthana con- compiled in a, in a reasonable form, you know. So, I took that one book with me and spent the year in Nongkai, in Watanenpana, a meditation monastery, just outside the town of Nongkai. And I only had this one book to read... but it was just the basic teachings, Four Noble Truths, Eightfold Path, all the different six efforts and four stages and so forth. So I kept reviewing this book. And I tried desperately to perform this Burmese style practice, doing everything in slow motion. 24 hours a day. You know, I could manage it in Bangkok when it was only, you know, one hour in the afternoon, but to try to move slowly with every, you know, 24 seven, I couldn't do it. I had so many being alone without distractions because I only had this one small little book with me and it was this practice of you—you you go into your kuti and you stay there, and you, you don't—you have to go to meetings or bind about. You don't have to go out to collect food; they bring you food. So you, with yourself, no one to talk to, no one could speak English, and your mind just goes bonkers. You know, and trying to move within this stylized form of meditation, I couldn't sustain it because so many emotions, suppressed feelings were starting to arise in consciousness. And so and by I was about thirty one years old then, so I'd lived over 30 years, and I'm from a background, a family which was, uh, you know, uh, as a kind of dysfunctional family about repressing your feelings, not to show anger. So in 30 years, you know, I'd learned how to suppress resentment, anger, aversion, and then you create a lifestyle where, you know, these, these kind of emotions you, you reject. But when you're with yourself all alone in a kuti, no kind of reference to anything else, I found I couldn't hold back all this anger and resentment. It just started manifesting. And I was trying to get tranquil, trying to get jhanas, wanting peace, and all the time fighting against this, this repressed anger. It wasn't anger about anything at the monastery. And so I couldn't, you know, I couldn't blame anybody at the monastery or the conditions there. They were very good. But it was... 31 years of repressed version, fear, a lot of fear and anger, resentment. And I I didn't have any teacher, you know, nobody could speak English. So I just, this one book, Word of the Buddha, was my only teacher. So I figured out, you know, I finally gave up trying to do this this Yupnor Pongnor style of Burmese meditation and just sit there observing this, all this, all these, this anger arising in consciousness, resentment, bitterness, guilt, a lot of fear. I became incredibly frightened sometimes. But the, the kind of intuition was to observe it. Because I couldn't do anything else. I could have left. Nobody was forcing me to stay there. But I somehow had enough kind of insight or patience to To just uh, bear with it. Bear with this negative, you know, it lasted about three months of just unmitigated aversion and anger. And I, you know, I wasn't blaming it on anything present. It had nothing to do with uh, monks in the monastery or the People around me, so I you know made me consider what what is it you know, you know you can understand getting angry if somebody's insulting you or abusing you in some way, but nobody was doing that. just you know being by myself with no kind of escape, no you know, one meal a day they had so that was the the highlight of the day you look forward to the one meal after that there was nothing no meetings no way to distract yourself no books to read no television no telephones iPhones what do you do with yourself and then reading this This book, over and over, The Four Noble Truths, you know, I started applying it to, there is suffering. You know, this, it's being angry like this, feeling this anger, resentment, fear. This is real suffering, but it's not suffering because of external causes. It's suffering because, you know, I began to see the, the first noble truth. And so, for about three months, I endured through this kind of hell realm. And, uh, and then it completely vanished. And one morning I woke up and there was no anger, no resentment, no fear left. I even tried to revive it, just see if if I could feel angry again and I couldn't. And I think of all the things to resent of my past or and then nothing no anger would arise. It's just everything was luminous the, and the, the kuti was just a very basic wooden hut with a tin roof. It was beautiful. Everything was was touched with beauty. The forest at Wat Nenpinal was kind of scrubby trees, not very beautiful, but it looked absolutely beautiful. So then I thought, "I'm enlightened. <laughs> <laughs> this is this must be enlightenment because I've never felt like this before in my life." And uh, and there was no, you know, the it, you begin to realize that. During this three months of this of this unmitigated anger and resentment is like a, a cleansing process. Somehow, I had the instinct; something in me told me to just bear with it, and 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 it seemed like it was going to last forever, like it would never cease. But it did end. Without me suppressing it, nor in trying to influence it in any way, just observing it, being the puto, the awareness of these, of these negative states, negative, neg- repressed feelings. And then they, and then one morning I woke up and there was no anger, no negativity, no fear. And that state lasted about a week. Stayed in this kind of blissful state for a week. And I was hoping it was permanent. <laughs> and then I had to renew my visa to stay in Thailand. So I had to go to the immigration office in Nongkai and the, at that time the immigration foreigners had to go to Bangkok, they couldn't renew their visas at outlying stations like Nongkai and you had to yeah. re, when you renewed your visa you had to do it in, in the immigration office in Bangkok but the the head monk my had arranged with the Immigration Office in Nongkai to uh, have my visa stamped, passport stamped in Nongkai, so I wouldn't have to go all the way to Bangkok. And so I go to the Immigration Office in Nongkai, and they obviously don't like what having, they're having to do. So I enter the door and I feel I'm so sensitive so aware and this hostility nobody said anything but you could just feel the resentment and aversion toward me from these civil servants and of course this this blissful radiant luminosity crashed So I just took a dirty look from an immigration officer. (laughs) And then, then, uh, you know, they did renew my visa. So I went back to the monastery trying to get back that state. But that... uh, that if, that state arose not through imagining. It wasn't a memory. I'd never experienced anything like that before, so I didn't remember ever feeling that way. It's just a natural, natural state of non-attachment. But I had, but the memory of this state created this desire to have it again. So I spent the next few weeks trying to get it back and I couldn't because it was desire you know, desire to get something you don't have Bhavadana and the desire to get rid of other, you know I fell back into the desire realm and this is where I really applied the second noble truth the and why I'm emphasizing the importance of reflecting on gamadana, bavadana, vipuvadana. Because I started really looking at, you know, dana wasn't such a problem, but the bavadana, the desire to get this state back, this memory of this blissful state, was so strong. I was doing everything in the try to get it and couldn't. So then I began to recognize what I was doing was bhavadana. Trying to because I have a memory now of that, and then it creates the desire to have it. So a memory of a previous blissful experience is still a memory. It's impermanent. And when you attach to it, it's suffering. So that's not the way to, to see the path, is through trying to, you know, imagine stream entry or, or, you know, or when you do have blissful states, tranquil states, or that to always try to get them back. But to be the puto, the observer of Power, that wanting something you don't have that you remember, wanting to get rid of greed, hatred, delusion, anger, and the defilements. So you become, you know, really. Uh, it's very insightful to reflect on these three kinds of desires, and the insight to the noble truth is to let go. Of desire, to let go of desire, you have to know what it is. You can't just let go of desire as a, as some kind of um, thing you do. You have to realize recognize the what gamma danhawahaha are as you as you experience them, and the attachment to them is the problem, not the desires not the problem it's this ignorant attachment, the sakya ditti, trying to get something you don't have and get rid of something you have you don't want. So these three fetters, sakya ditti, the ego, the conviction you have that you are just this physical form, your human body, but the the social, cultural conditioning that you've acquired, you know, belief systems, the assumptions, the views and opinions that you form through cultural, social, religious conditioning, their, their sankharas. And then, with the the third letter, is doubt attachment to thought trying to figure out nirvana trying to figure out stream entry through thinking through through the thinking process or through imagining so what it doesn't imagine what isn't thinking is awareness it's not a thought it doesn't create images it's not about the past or the future it's what you are right now is this awareness. Sati, sambhachanya, satipanya.